Section 107 of the Book of Household Management. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, October 2007. The Book of Household Management by Isabella Beaton. Legal Memoranda. Chapter 44. Part 2. 2724. Apprentices. By the statute 5 Elizabeth, Cap 4, it is enacted that in cases of ill usage by masters towards apprentices, or of neglect of duty by apprentices, the complaining party may apply to a justice of the peace, who may make such order as equity may require. If, for want of conformity on the part of the master, this cannot be done, then the master may be bound to appear at the next sessions. Authority is given by the Act to the justices in sessions to discharge the apprentice from his indentures. They are also empowered, on proof of misbehavior of the apprentice, to order him to be corrected or imprisoned with hard labor. 2725 husband and wife. Contrary to the vulgar opinion, second cousins, as well as first, may legally marry. When married, a husband is liable for his wife's debts contracted before marriage. A creditor desirous of suing for such a claim should proceed against both. It will, however, be sufficient if the husband be served with process, the names of both appearing therein, thus John Jones and Anne his wife. A married woman, if sued alone, may plead her marriage, or, as it is called in law, coverture. The husband is liable for debts of his wife contracted for necessaries while living with him. If she voluntarily leaves his protection, this liability ceases. He is also liable for any debts contracted by her with his authority, if the husband have abjured the realm, or been transported by a sentence of law, the wife is liable during his absence as if she were a single woman, for debts contracted by her. 2726. In civil cases a wife may now give evidence on behalf of her husband. In criminal cases she can neither be a witness for or against her husband. The case of assault by him upon her forms an exception to this rule. 2727. The law does not at this day admit the ancient principle of allowing moderate correction by a husband upon the person of his wife. Although this is said to have been anciently limited to the use of a stick not bigger than the thumb, this barbarity is now altogether exploded. He may, notwithstanding, as has been recently shown in the famous Agapemon case, keep her under restraint to prevent her leaving him, provided this be effected without cruelty. 2,728. By the Divorce and Matrimonial Causes Act, 1857, a wife deserted by her husband may apply to a magistrate, or to the petty sessions, for an order to protect her lawful earnings or property acquired by her, after such desertion, from her husband and his creditors. In this case it is indispensable that such order shall, within ten days, be entered at the county court of the district within which she resides. It will be seen that the basis of an application for such an order is desertion. 
Consequently, where the parties have separated by common consent, such an order cannot be obtained, any previous cruelty or misconduct on the husband's part notwithstanding. 2,729. When a husband allows his wife to invest money in her own name in a savings bank, and he survives her, it is sometimes the rule of such establishments to compel him to take out administration in order to receive such money, although it is questionable whether such rule is legally justifiable. Widows and widowers pay no legacy duty for property coming to them through their deceased partners. 2,730. Receipts for sums above two pounds should now be given upon penny stamps. A bill of exchange may nevertheless be discharged by an endorsement stating that it has been paid, and this will not be liable to the stamp. A receipt is not, as commonly supposed, conclusive evidence as to a payment. It is only what the law terms prima facie evidence, that is, good until contradicted or explained. Thus, if A sends wares or merchandise to B with the receipt, as a hint that the transaction is intended to be for ready money, and B detain the receipt without paying the cash, A will be at liberty to prove the circumstances and to recover his claim. The evidence to rebut the receipt must, however, be clear and indubitable, as, after all, written evidence is of a stronger nature than oral testimony. 2,731. Books of Account. A tradesman's books of account cannot be received as evidence in his own behalf, unless the entries therein be proved to have been brought under the notice of, and admitted to be correct by the other party, as is commonly the case with the pass-books, employed backwards and forwards between bakers, butchers, and the like domestic traders, and their customers. The defendant may, however, compel the tradesman to produce his books to show entries adverse to his own claim. 2,732. Wills. The last proof of affection which we can give to those left behind is to leave their worldly affairs in such a state as to excite neither jealousy nor anger nor heart-rendings of any kind, at least for the immediate future. This can only be done by a just, clear, and intelligible disposal of whatever there is to leave. Without being advocates for every man being his own lawyer, it is not to be denied that the most elaborately prepared wills have been the most fruitful sources of litigation, and it has even happened that learned judges left wills behind them which could not be carried out. Except in cases where the property is in land or in leases of complicated tenure, very elaborate details are unnecessary, and we counsel no man to use words in making his will of which he does not perfectly understand the meaning and import. 2,733. All men over twenty-one years of age, and of sound mind, and all unmarried women of like age and sanity, may by will bequeath their property to whom they please. Infants, that is, all persons under twenty-one years of age, and married women, except where they have an estate to their own separate use, are incapacitated, without the concurrence of the husband the law taking the disposal of any property they die possessed of. A person born deaf and dumb cannot make a will, unless there is evidence that he could read and comprehend its contents. A person convicted of felony cannot make a will, 
unless subsequently pardoned. Neither can persons outlawed, but the wife of a felon transported for life may make a will, and act in all respects as if she were unmarried. A suicide may bequeath real estate, but personal property is forfeited to the crown. 2734. Except in the case of soldiers on actual service, and sailors at sea, every will must be made in writing. It must be signed by the testator, or by some other person in his presence, and at his request, and the signature must be made or acknowledged in the presence of two more witnesses, who are required to be present at the same time, who declare by signing that the will was signed by the testator, or acknowledged in their presence, and that they signed as witnesses in testator's presence. 2735. By the Act of 1852 it was enacted that no will shall be valid unless signed at the foot or end thereof by the testator, or by some person in his presence, and by his direction. But a subsequent Act proceeds to say that every will shall, as far only as regards the position of the signature of the testator, or of the person signing for him, be deemed valid if the signature shall be so placed at, or after, or following, or under, or beside, or opposite to the end of the will, that it shall be apparent on the face of it that the testator intended to give it effect by such signature. Under this clause a will of several sheets, all of which were duly signed, except the last one, has been refused probate. While, on the other hand, a similar document has been admitted to probate where the last sheet only, and none of the other sheets, was signed. In order to be perfectly formal, however, each separate sheet should be numbered, signed, and witnessed, and attested on the last sheet. This witnessing is an important act. The witnesses must subscribe it in the presence of the testator and of each other, and by their signature they testify to having witnessed the signature of the testator, he being in sound mind at the time. Wills made under any kind of coercion, or even importunity, may become void, being contrary to the wishes of the testator. Fraud or imposition also renders a will void, and where two wills made by the same person happen to exist, neither of them dated, the maker of the wills is declared to have died into state. 2736. A will may always be revoked and annulled, but only by burning or entirely destroying the writing, or by adding a codicil, or making a subsequent will duly attested, but as the alteration of a will is only a revocation to the extent of the alteration, if it is intended to revoke the original will entirely, such intention should be declared. No merely verbal directions can revoke a written will, and the act of running the pen through the signatures or down the page is not sufficient to cancel it, without a written declaration to that effect, signed and witnessed. 2737 a will made before marriage is revoked thereby. 2738. A codicil is a supplement or addition to a will, either explaining or altering former dispositions. It may be written on the same or separate paper, and is to be witnessed and attested in the same manner as the original document. 2739. Witnesses. Any persons are qualified to witness a will who can write their names, but such witness cannot be benefited by the will. 
if a legacy is granted to the persons witnessing, it is void. The same rule applies to the husband or wife of a witness. A bequest made to either of these is void. 2740. Form of Wills. Form is unimportant, provided the testator's intention is clear. It should commence with his designation, that is, his name and surname, place of abode, profession, or occupation. The legatees should also be clearly described, in leaving a legacy to a married woman, if no trustees are appointed over it, and no specific directions are given, quote, that it is for her sole and separate use, free from the control, debts, and encumbrances of her husband, unquote. The husband will be entitled to the legacy. In the same manner a legacy to an unmarried woman will vest in her husband after marriage, unless the settlement of it is made on her before marriage. 2741. In sudden emergencies a form may be useful, and the following has been considered a good one for a deathbed will, where the assistance of a solicitor could not be obtained. Indeed, few solicitors can prepare a will on the spur of the moment. They require time and legal forms, which are by no means necessary, before they can act. I, A.B. of number 10, Blank Street, in the city of Blank, bracket, gentleman, builder, or grocer, as the case may be, and bracket, being of sound mind, thus publish and declare my last will and testament. Revoking and annulling all former dispositions of my property, I give and bequeath as follows. To my son, J.B., of blank, I give and bequeath the sum of blank. To my daughter, M., the wife of J., of blank, I give and bequeath the sum of blank. Bracket, if intended for her own use, add, quote, to her sole and separate use, free from the control, debts, and encumbrances of her husband, end quote, end bracket. Both in addition to any sum or sums of money or other property they have before had from me. All the remaining property I die possessed of I leave to my dear wife, M. B., for her sole and separate use during her natural life, together with my house and furniture, situate at number 10, Blank Street, aforesaid. At her death I desire that the said house shall be sold, with all the goods and chattels therein, bracket, or I give and bequeath the said house, with all the goods and chattels therein, to, blank, end bracket, and the money realized from the sale, together with that in which my said wife had a life interest, I give and bequeath in equal moieties to my son and daughter before named. I appoint my dear friend T.S. of blank, and T.B. of blank, together with my wife M.B. as executors to this, my last will and testament. Signed by A.B. this tenth day of October, 1861, in our presence, both being present together, and both having signed as witnesses in the presence of the testator, A.B. T.S. Witness, F.M. Witness. It is to be observed that the signature of the testator after this attestation has been signed by the witnesses is not a compliance with the act. He must sign first. 2,742. Stamp Duties. In the case of persons dying into state, when their effects are administered to by their family, the stamp duty is half as much more as it would have been under a will. 
freehold and copyhold estates are now subject to a special impost on passing by the Stamp Act of 1857. 2,743. The legacy duty only commences when it amounts to twenty pounds and upwards, and where it is not directed otherwise, the duty is deducted from the legacy. 2,744. You cannot compound for past absence of charity by bequeathing land or tenements, or money to purchase such to any charitable use by your last will and testament. But you may devise them to the British Museum, to either of the two universities of Oxford and Cambridge, to Eton, Winchester, and Westminster, and you may, if so inclined, leave it for the augmentation of Queen Anne's bounty. You may, however, order your executors to sell land and hand over the money received to any charitable institution. 2,745. In making provision for a wife, state whether it is in lieu of, or in addition to, dower. 2,746. If you have advanced money to any child, and taken an acknowledgment for it, or entered it in any book of account, you should declare whether any legacy left by will is in addition to such advance, or whether it is to be deducted from the legacy. 2,747. A legacy left by will to any one would be cancelled by your leaving another legacy by a codicil to the same person, unless it is stated to be in addition to the former bequest. 2,748. Your entire estate is chargeable with your debts, except where the real estate is settled. Let it be distinctly stated out of which property, the real or personal, they are paid, where it consists of both. 2,749. Whatever is devised, let the intention be clearly expressed, and without any condition, if you intend it to take effect. 2,750. Attestation is not necessary to a will, as the act of witnessing is all the law requires, and the will itself declares the testator to be of sound mind in his own estimation, but wherever there are erasures or interlineations, one becomes necessary. No particular form is prescribed, but it should state that the testator equally signed it himself, or that another signed it by his request, or that he acknowledged the signature to be his in their presence, both being present together, and signed as witnesses in his presence. When there are erasures, the attestation must declare that, the words interlined in the third line of page four, and the erasure in the fifth line of page six, having been first made. These are the acts necessary to make a properly executed will, and, being simple in themselves, and easily performed, they should be strictly complied with, and always attested. 2,751. A witness may, on being requested, sign for testator, and he may also sign for his fellow witness, supposing he can only make his mark, declaring that he does so, but a husband cannot sign for his wife, either as testator or witness, nor can a wife for her husband. End of section 107. End of the Book of Household Management by Isabella Beaton